As I think back to when I was a kid, what I remember most about Christmas, not the presents or the school vacations, all those were wonderful, but I remember the sense of anticipation that would, would, built up, that would build up in the, the, the weeks leading up to the big day. You know, the build-up in the weeks leading up to Christmas. You know, it would start after Thanksgiving, lights going up everywhere, Christmas trees, then it's the last day before school vacation, and then it's Christmas Eve and you just can't wait until morning, and then it's finally Christmas morning and you're so excited you get up really, really early, completely ignore what your parents said the night before about waking them up, rush into their room, shake them out of sleep because you just can't wait any longer. It's finally Christmas morning, and you've been waiting all month. We might wait all month for Christmas, but before the birth of Jesus, God's people have been waiting hundreds of years for the first Christmas. Hundreds of years for the birth of their Savior and King. Imagine the buildup. Imagine the sense of anticipation as people waited generation after generation after generation. Today we're going to look at a story and then a song in response. And in the story and the song, we'll see this theme of anticipation keep popping up. In today's passage about the birth of John the Baptist, we're going to see those final moments before the first Christmas. Let's begin by looking at the story of anticipation, the story of John's birth. Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 57. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, No, he is to be called John. They said to her, There's no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet. And to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Immediately, his mouth was opened and his tongue was loosed and he began to speak, praising God. The neighbors were all filled with awe. And throughout the the hill country of Judah, people were talking about all these things. Everyone heard this, wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. So in this brief story, we see people surprised and curious about Zachariah and Elizabeth's baby. And that's because Zachariah and Elizabeth had no children and were well past the age you would expect them to get pregnant. So their friends and their family and everyone around is shocked that she's about to have a baby. Elizabeth is one woman in a long line of faithful women in the Bible who, though thought to be barren, give birth to a child. You know, there's Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, Samson's mother, Hannah. And in these stories, this child is an important link in the chain in the fulfillment of God's promises to his people. So the people of Zechariah's time are thinking, we've been here before. We've seen God do this before. He must have something big coming our way. And the anticipation builds. And behind the stories of 
the woman once considered barren is the presence of God at work to bless his people through a child. So everyone is on the edge of their seats and filled with joy. Look at verse 58. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy and they shared her joy. Lesson there for each of us in a world full of screens and gadgets where we can create our own little personalized worlds, a world with shallow relationships, no accountability, very little sharing in the highs and lows of life, you know, that we, you know, Jesus came not only to reconcile us to God, but also to reconcile us to each other. He came, one of the reasons he came is to make us others focused so we can empathize in sharing the condition of the people around us. And when we do, we find that sharing another person's joy is actually far better than the world of our cell phones and social media and television. And it's more than just being a good friend, it's actually a way to worship God. Now, sharing in the joys of others is a way of celebrating God's generosity and goodness expressed in another person. And it's one of the many joys and privileges of being part of a local church family. We get to share in the joys of each other's lives and see God's work, His generous hand in the people around us. Not only are the people surprised and rejoicing at this unexpected birth, but they're surprised at what Zachariah and Elizabeth decide to name the child. Look at verse 59. You know, on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. His mother spoke up and said, no, he is to be called John. And they said to her, there's no one among your relatives who has that name. And they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote his name is John. It's common in that day to name the son after the father, especially if the father was an honorable and respected man. And Zechariah was a respected and honorable priest. So everyone's surprised they're not naming him Zechariah. So why John and not Zechariah Jr.? Well, earlier in the story, earlier in Luke chapter 1, Zechariah as a priest is doing his priestly work in the temple and then suddenly an angel appeared. And the angel said, much to his surprise and unbelief, you're going to have a son even though your wife is old. And you're going to name that son John. And as a general rule in life, when an angel shows up at work, you should probably listen to them. But there's more than just listening to an angel. The name John means God has been gracious. The birth of this child, John, is God's way of saying, my grace is about to come to you through this child. And that's why the story ends with people wondering what God's going to do Verse 66, everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was upon him. So there's the story of anticipation. And we are left with that same question, right, as the people in the town, how is God going to show his grace through this child? Well, in the next part of the story, the the, the song of anticipation, Zechariah answers that question. And tells us how God will show his grace 
through the birth of his son, John. Zechariah knows that his son is the final link in a long chain of people that stretched hundreds of years that have all said Jesus is coming. Let's look at this song of the happy father. Look at verse 67. His father Zechariah, filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago. Salvation for our enemies, from our enemies, and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our fathers and to remember, the, to remember his holy covenant. The oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the desert until he appeared publicly to Israel. There's a lot of uh, interesting things about Zechariah's song of praise. One of the more interesting ones, though, is it's really not about his son, John. John's barely mentioned in the song. You know, it's, it's actually really about God, finally, after hundreds of years, making good on his promises to save his people through the Messiah, Jesus. That's why it makes such a good Christmas message. You know, John is just the final piece of the puzzle that God has been putting together throughout all these years. And then when you step back and look at the completed puzzle, what you see looking back at you is Jesus. That's why Zechariah's song is not about his son John, but about his Savior, Jesus. And he breaks up his song into four parts. We can think of it as four verses of a song. In each, in each verse, he sings about a, a different person, an important person, David, Abraham, John the Baptist, and then Jesus. Let's look at the first person that Zechariah mentions in this song. Let's look at David. Look at verse 69. It says, He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. David was one of the, David was the first um, faithful king, not perfect, far from perfect, but first faithful king of Israel about a thousand years before the birth of Jesus. And God promised that David's kingdom would last forever because a king from his line would reign forever. And all the Old Testament prophets look forward to this day. It's the great hope of God's people, this king who will reign forever from the line of David. Zechariah even mentions that in his song in verse 70. You know, as he said through the holy prophets of long ago. Some of our most well-known Christmas passages and Christmas songs are about this promise. You know, the king who will come over an everlasting kingdom characterized by peace 
and righteousness. And the arrival of this kingdom would mean salvation for God's people. That's, a, that's what he's talking about in verse 69. You know, he mentions the horn of salvation. Well, a horn is a symbol of strength, of might. You know, you think of animals that have like a, a big horn or animals that have antlers. You know, what do they do to show off their strength? They raise them up. They show them off, shake them around, make sure every, you know, all the predators can see them. You know, Jesus is the raised horn of God that shows off his mighty and strong salvation. So that's why Zechariah is praising God. God has given us one from the house of David who has arrived with a mighty salvation. Jesus Christ, our King, who will reign forever. In the busyness of Christmas, opening presents, jamming the kids into the car to get them to grandma's on time, it's so easy for us to forget, so easy for us to forget that Christmas actually exists for God's praises. It's actually a time to pause and reflect, like Zachariah is doing here in his song, on the faithfulness of God to his age-old promises. Now, I'm sure that the family, your kids, might form a picket line in front of the Christmas tree if you try to scrap your Christmas traditions, and make it all about the Bible. But maybe this year we can all add something to our traditions. A time to pause and reflect and praise God for giving us a kingdom that cannot be shaken and a king who will reign forever. That's the first verse of Zechariah's song. It's about God's faithfulness to the promises he made to David. The second verse of his song is about God's faithfulness to the promises he made to Abraham. You know, God's people have been anticipating this first Christmas long before the time of David. You know, Jesus is the fulfillment of one of God's oldest promises, the one he made to Abraham. Look at verse 72. It's to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant to the oath he swore to our father Abraham. So what is this promise or this oath that God remembered that he swore to Abraham? That's all the way back in Genesis 12 when God said that through Abraham's offspring, the whole world would be blessed. Paul said that when when God made this promise to Abraham, he was preaching the gospel in advance. In Jesus, the whole world is about to be blessed by the arrival of the king who will proclaim the good news of his life, death, and resurrection. And all of this is described as God's mercy. Mercy refers here, used here, mercy refers to God's loyal or faithful love that moves him to complete his promises to his people. And when we gather our families together or when we come together in church or when we sing Christmas songs, you know, what we're, we're hearing God say back to us is, look at the display of my faithfulness. Look at the display of my mercy. Look how much I love you. Now, praise me. Worship me. Serve me. You know, he saves us to serve him. He, he, we don't serve God so that we get his mercy. I don't know. We serve him because he's shown us mercy when we didn't deserve it. 
That's what it's talking about in verse 74. To rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Christmas is more than babies and mangers and wise men. It's about beholding the long-anticipated mercy of God and then responding by serving Him in holiness and righteousness. We really don't understand God's mercy unless it produces in us a thankfulness that leads to obedience. So kids, you want to know one way to thank God for sending Jesus. Show God you love Him by serving Him. You know, we, we serve God when we do things like obey our parents, share our Christmas presents with our brothers and sisters or friends. Maybe you can give some of the presents you got to other kids who didn't get any presents. You know, God is so pleased when we show Him we love Him by serving Him. What makes your parents really happy? When you obey them because you love them. So it is with God. God is, is happy when, when we obey Him because of the mercy and love He has shown us in sending Jesus. Verse 1, David. Verse 2, Abraham. Verse 3, John. Finally, he gets to his own son. In the third verse, Zechariah's song moves from past promises to the future the ones that God will fulfill in his own son, John. He moves from the two great men of the faith, Abraham and David, to the little boy in his arms. Imagine what he must have been thinking. Imagine the emotion of this old priest as he looks down in his arms, never having a child, and he sees the faithfulness of God staring back at him. My son will be one of God's prophets. And it's easy for us to miss how big of a moment this actually is. Because for 400 years, God has not sent a prophet up to this point. 400 years in between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Before that time, God sent prophet after prophet after prophet. The word of God came to Ezekiel. The word of God came to Isaiah. The word of God came over and over and over. Then, silence. And as the decades went on, the anticipation built. And people wondered, would God ever speak again? And then, a man named John started preaching in the wilderness. Flip over a page to Luke chapter 3. Let me just show this to you. Luke chapter 3, verse 2. During the high priesthood of Ananias and Caiaphas, here it is, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the desert. God is speaking again. And what does God want Zechariah, or what does God want John to say? Verse three, he went into all the country around the Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. It's a message of repentance. it's John was saying, hey, God's coming. Our Messiah is coming. Turn away from your sins and receive his forgiveness. 
You know, that was John's role. He came to go before Jesus and, and prepare the hearts of the people to receive their king. You know, the hearts of the people at that time was like a, like a thick jungle. There's, it's all overgrown. There's vines everywhere and branches and thorns. And John was like a guy with a big machete that just came and cleared away, made a straight path. He, he tilled the spiritual soil, and then Jesus came and started throwing out the gospel seeds. John prepares the way for Jesus' ministry. Go back to Luke chapter 1, look at verse 77. He did it by giving God's people a knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Earlier in the song, Zechariah mentions that God would save us from our enemies. It's actually an allusion back to the Exodus when God saved his people from the Egyptians and allowed them to serve him on the mountain. But the Lord for whom John will prepare a way will save God's people from a much greater enemy than the Egyptians. He'll save them from their own sins. He will save them and rescue them from one of their oldest enemies. David, Abraham, John the Baptist. Finally, here in this final verse of the song, he moves to Jesus. He saved the best for last. We've gone on a tour of biblical history, and he's shown us how all the promises of God find their fulfillment and completion in Jesus Christ. And now the anticipation is over. Zechariah ends his song with the greatest display of God's tender mercy that we've ever seen. Our Savior and Lord Jesus. Look at verse 78. Because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. Jesus' coming is poetically described as a sun rising that lights up the darkness and makes the path of peace clear. And all of this is, is described as a display of God's tender mercy. It's such a, a, a fitting and beautiful phrase for Jesus' coming, isn't it? Tender mercy. It's actually the only time in the Bible this phrase is used. The word tender can sometimes be translated heart or affections. It's the mercy that comes out of the core of who God is. It's hearty mercy. And we, we can tell a lot about a person by what they throw their heart into, what they're passionate about. You might be passionate about work or a charity or ministry or family. Kids, maybe you're passionate about sports or Star Wars or Pokemon. You know what God's passionate about? You know what makes God really, really excited? Showing mercy. And how is this mercy shown? What does it look like? It looks like God coming to us in the person of Jesus Christ to forgive our sins, to rip us out from the shadow of death by stepping into death's shadow for us on the cross. Born to die in our place so that we would know the path of peace. Come to Christ. There is no one in this room who deserves his mercy. And there is no one in this room that he will turn away if you come and turn from your sins and trust in his son. Come to Christ. No one's too old or too young in this room to do that.
It's been a long, cold, dark night in the hearts of the people of God. No shepherd or king to lead them. But then off in the east, there's a faint glow. And as the sun begins to rise over the horizon, beams of light shoot out in all directions. Slowly, the light replaces the darkness. And sinners look up from the shadow of death. And there's a path of peace illuminated for them. And we hear the voice of John the Baptist preaching, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. No more waiting. The day of anticipation is here. It's Christ, our King, and He has come. The offspring of Abraham from the line of David to save us from our sins and to guide us down the path of peace with God forever. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we give, you all, we give you praise this morning, each one of us, for redeeming us with your mighty salvation. Oh, Father, may our hearts be filled with real worship and real praise for what you have done in sending us Jesus. As we gather with our families to eat, to share stories, to talk. Oh, Lord, be in our hearts and be on our lips, we pray, for your own glory. Amen.